0: Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God the Father and from the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Word of God which we will consider today is our Old Testament lesson, found recorded in the 61st chapter of Isaiah's prophecy, reading there verses 1, 2, and 3 as follows in Jesus' name. To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. These are the words, Heavenly Father, sanctify us by the truth, your word is truth, amen. In the name of Jesus Christ, dear fellow redeemed. When you take part in a meeting at your work or at school or here at church, it's a good thing to have an agenda in front of you. The agenda is a useful thing because it helps us prioritize the important matters that are before us and it helps us to budget our time. An agenda can serve as a road map, and it helps us know when we've accomplished what we intended to do. The words of our text this morning may be considered as an agenda. Here the everlasting Son of God, Jesus Christ, is speaking centuries before his birth in Bethlehem, and he presents for us a list of what he would do. Sometimes it happens when we attend a meeting and we look and see that the agenda for that meeting is quite long, overly ambitious, meandering. It can be a little bit discouraging. But in looking at the Messiah's agenda, we're given comfort and hope. Here our Lord lists three things that he would accomplish for us. First, that he would proclaim good news. Secondly, that he would bind up the brokenhearted. And thirdly, that he would provide good things to his people. Here he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. This is why Jesus is called the Messiah. He did not come here on his own, carrying out his own plans. That name Messiah means that he was anointed, set apart for this work, equipped by the Holy Spirit to accomplish everything on his list. And what was that work? He says to preach good tidings to the poor. Some have used this to teach that Jesus came to earth primarily to convince us to redistribute the world's wealth. They would turn our Lord into the first Marxist and insist that what he wanted most of all was that the economically impoverished should get a bigger piece of the pie, that the good news he preached to the poor had mostly to do with money, and social status. But in his Sermon on the Mount, our Lord made it clear that he was thinking especially about those who are spiritually poor, those who recognize and who regret their spiritual bankruptcy and impoverishment before God and who acknowledge that they have nothing at all to offer him in exchange for his salvation. The good news that he announces to such poor is really the very best news of all. It's that our debt of sin has been paid off, that our sins have been swept away and forgotten by God, that we are forgiven for every sin. Jesus can speak this good news, for he is the one who himself came to pay that bill and to remove our sins by his own sinless life and by his innocent death on the cross. And so he has further good news to make known, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening of the prison to those who are bound. What better news could a prisoner receive than this? Your sentence is now completed. The door is open. You can leave the prison and live your life as a free person. Isaiah's audience knew all about such captivity. At the time of our text, the people of Israel were facing bondage in faraway Babylon, an exile that would last 70 years. Though from an earthly standpoint, you and I are currently free people and hopefully will never be incarcerated or become slaves to another nation, still, we are subject to the spiritual bondage of sin. By nature, we are dominated by Satan, whom Jesus called the prince of this world. We're mastered by the inclinations and the urges of the sinful flesh, and we're manipulated by the enticements of the world that surrounds us. This is a deceptive sort of captivity, for in some ways, it feels like freedom we might think to ourselves, I'm free to fulfill each and every sensual desire that enters my mind. I'm free to pursue any amount of money, any item which would possibly make me a happier person. But this is really a captivity to a suffocating sort of evil which leads to permanent captivity in hell. The sinful flesh is never fully satisfied, so its pursuit goes on and on until our heart stops. The good news that Jesus announces, though, has to do with real freedom. For he has liberated us from Satan's grip so that we're no longer slaves to sin, no longer exiles to hell. He can announce our freedom because he himself paid the ransom price with his own holy blood, which has released us, as the Bible says, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood, with his innocent suffering and death. He said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He said, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In Jesus, we are free to avoid hell. We're free to go to our heavenly home when God calls us out of this world. The the Messiah who has come and set us free has even more good news to announce. His agenda includes this, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. In the Old Testament, God established that every 50th year was to be called a year of jubilee. All those in slavery were to be set free that year. All debts were to be forgiven. All land that had been used to pay off a debt was to now revert to the original owner. And so if you were a slave, if you were in debt, if you were homeless... The Jubilee year was a very good year. As you know, our congregation is currently seeking to carry out an ambitious debt reduction project. The theme for it is the year of Jubilee. If our Lord grants success to our efforts, we'll be free eventually of a heavy financial burden which could interfere with other goals and opportunities that he's laid before us. The year of jubilee is an appropriate title for this effort. It's motivated by the fact that for us, every single year is really a year of jubilee. For through Jesus who fulfilled the agenda, our debt of sin has been forgiven, our enslavement to sin has been broken, and our place in heaven has been reclaimed. How sad and terrible it would be to reject these gifts, and thus to waste this jubilee, this acceptable year of the Lord. And so through his apostle, he urges us, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This announcement of good news was really just the first item on the Messiah's agenda. And that good news that he came to make known to the world, he's still announcing through his believers as we speak to those around us, fellow impoverished, enslaved sinners, wherever the gospel of his liberty is made known. Now we come to the second item on the agenda, and it's this. Jesus said, he sent me to heal the broken brokenhearted. As we've noted, Israel at the time was a broken-hearted nation. They were living in exile in Babylon, a thousand miles away from home. The Israelites were in deep grief. They'd lost everything. In Psalm 137, their homesickness is described. There it says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? God's law breaks our hearts. It shows what God requires of us and how badly we have failed at obeying its requirements. The law reveals that we are separated from God because of our sins against him. And there's no more profound homesickness than that which is felt by the human heart, which is detached from God, its father and creator. There could be no more desperate loneliness than the human heart adrift out there on its own. Jesus, the Messiah, has come to bind up our wounded hearts. He did that as he endured God's abandonment in our place. On the cross, Jesus felt the utter loneliness of the condemned. So he shouted, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? By his bloody and lonely death, you and I are made healthy and are restored to God's loving presence, welcomed into his family now and forever. And so the prophet wrote, by his wounds we are healed. And Paul wrote, God was in Christ reconciling himself to the world, the world unto himself, not counting men's sins against them. The third task on the Messiah's agenda is this. He says to provide for those who grieve in Zion. That is to provide good things for his church, his believers. And what are those good things? Our text goes on. It's a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Our sins mar us and stain us before God. He is holy and perfect, and he demands the same of us, his creatures. But that perfect holiness is far from us, so that even the best works of devotion to God and love to our neighbor are unable to win his approval. But through faith, the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ is imputed to us. Wearing his righteousness, which covers us, we are seen as beautiful before God. For in Christ, God sees us as those who have never once sinned, and he sees us as those who have been punished for their sins already. Jesus provides us with the oil of gladness instead of mourning. That is, he replaces our sorrows with a spirit of happiness and joy so that our faces shine and gleam. For what could any person do but smile and be happy when he learns that his sins have been lifted from him and removed from God's presence and that they no longer stand to accuse and condemn us? Even in times of hardship and loss, the believer in Christ can keep the joy knowing that God is his friend through Jesus and he promises to work all things together for good to those who love him. And so the Messiah who fulfilled his agenda in every way causes us to rejoice. He gives us a garment of praise instead of despair. Despair is the inevitable result of a sinful life. Despair is the feeling of complete helplessness and complete hopelessness. Despair is what Judas Iscariot felt before he committed suicide, believing that there would never be any forgiveness for him. But rejoicing and praising God, these are the natural results of our hearing and believing in the gospel. When we're brought to a confident reliance upon God and that he graciously pardons all of our offenses for Jesus' sake, then we cannot help but praise him with all our voices and with our entire lives, just as we will do when we are face-to-face with Him in Heaven. Since becoming a pastor years ago, I got into the habit of making a little agenda, a list, at the end of the day to help me remember the various things that I need to do tomorrow. And perhaps many of you are list makers as well. I don't always accomplish everything I put on my agenda, though, Interruptions, emergencies, unforeseen circumstances, my own laziness sometimes get in the way and keep me from doing just what I intend to do. But Jesus Christ could scratch off every single item on his list. He completely and flawlessly fulfilled his agenda as our savior so we should never fear that there's been something important and needful that has been left undone for our salvation Jesus earned and declares our release from sin and guilt by his sacrifice on the cross he bandages our wounded hearts He provides us now with righteousness and joy in his word so that we can praise God, so that on the last day we can stand as trees of his planting, tall, strong, and confident as we trust in him who has fulfilled the whole agenda for our salvation. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and shall be forevermore. Amen.